I'm Piers Morgan. Uncensored tonight, protesters make global headlines with this orange powder protest at the World Snooker Championships. Now boss Barry Hearn says he will sue them and the eco-protesters belong in jail. He joins me live. Students at the UK's top university revolt over a debate featuring feminist philosopher Kathleen Stock. But I thought hearing opposing views was the entire point of being at university. We'll have that debate if they allow us to, the little snowflakes. Plus, a London theatre urges white people to stay away from the performance exploring racial issues so it can be free of the white gaze. Do black people really need safe spaces like this or is it just actually racism? Live from the News Building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Well, good evening, London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. We normally start this show, I don't know, by talking about people who moan, who whine, who complain about life, the woke brigade. You know the ones I'm talking about, the whining little wastrels that wreck our ability to have fun. It's become fashionable to be fragile, trendy to be traumatised. There's validation in being a victim. And I know all about being a victim, by the way. I'm an Arsenal fan. We blew an eight-point lead at the top of the Premier League to gift another title to oil-rich Manchester City. There they are, lifting the trophy yesterday, rubbing it squarely in my bitter and twisted face. But somehow, as I keep being reminded on social media, it's wrong for me to categorise what happened to my team as failure. It was a great success, apparently. And if I say otherwise, well, I'm demeaning the players. How did we get to this place? Every day we're overwhelmed by stories about people who are motivated by nothing and offended by everything. But not today. Today, I found an antidote. A shepherd to guide us through this maelstrom of self-inflicted misery. A little ray of sunshine through the black clouds of wokery. His name is Michael Block. You may not have heard of him. You probably, if you don't like golf, you definitely won't have heard of him. But it's not about golf. It's about a lot more than golf. Michael Block is 46 years old. He's a club professional, just a journeyman club professional. He gives golf lessons every week for about 150 bucks a time at his local club in California. Literally teaches people how to play the game. Once a week, he takes a bucket of balls at himself and whacks them around. Well, last week, he made the cut at a major PGA golf tournament, one of the top four tournaments in the world in golf. It was for the first time in his life, and he found himself rubbing shoulders with the superstars of the game. He didn't just make up the numbers. He did incredibly well. And on the last day, he found himself paired with Rory McIlroy, one of the greatest players in golf. Are you serious? Wow. That should be fun. We're going to have a good time. Well, it was fun. That everyman humility and infectious spirit. He couldn't believe he was going to be playing with Roy McIlroy. Powered him through the week and onto that final Sunday yesterday. And the more interviews that he gave Michael Block, the more that he played, the more the crowds, both there and on television, fell in love with this guy. He was the regular Joe, given an extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that he seized. And boy, did he seize it. Watch what he did yesterday. Seconds ago at the 15th. The fairy tale story. Gets better. A home run for Michael Black. 
straight in. I mean, you hardly ever see that, by the way. It either bounces before it goes in or it rolls in. How often do you see a hole-in-one go straight in? And then the next question, how often do you see it done by a 46-year-old journeyman club professional in a major tournament when he's playing with Rory McIlroy in front of thousands and thousands of spectators? If Michael Block couldn't believe it had gone in, it's because nobody else could either. This shouldn't be happening. Top-ranking stars go through careers without ever doing that. It's like scoring a hat-trick at the World Cup final in football. And in this case, it was scored by a player you've never heard of making his first appearance. Well, friends and family watching his local club, where he normally works as a golf instructor, match that of the thousands of spectators he's electrified all week. And to cap it all off, he then gave this remarkably moving summary of the week that I think reflected his very genuine gratitude. You said it yesterday that this was the best week of your life. What do you call it now? Thanks, Amanda. I appreciate you making me cry. Um, uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I'm living a dream. I'm making sure that I enjoy this moment. I've learned that after the, my 46 years of life that uh, it's not going to get better than this. There's no way. No chance in hell. So uh, I'm going to enjoy this, and thank you. What a guy. Humble, funny, inspirational, decent, hardworking, a real grafter. And how moving was that? How inspiring. A normal bloke who defied ridiculous odds to tear up a major sporting tournament and thrill the world. So tonight I salute Michael Block, the Rocky Balboa of golf. In this world of little whiners, we should all be more like Michael Block. Well, I'm joined fortuitously by the legendary sports promoter, Barry Hearn. Now, Barry, you came on to talk about something else, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first of all, <laughs> I love this story because it's not about golf. It's not really about sport. It's about life, never giving up, yeah. keep trying. All these virtues which have become unfashionable, mental strength, resilience, all that stuff. Well, what's not unfashionable is that we all love a Cinderella story. Yeah. We all remember what happened to Cinderella. She went to the ball. Mm. She lost her shoe, but she got the winning mm. prince in the end. And what Michael Block did was so that anyone can do it. Yeah. You know, in life, in sport, you can only be the best you can be. Nothing else. Do you feel that we're in an era now where people just give up too easily on everything? No, not necessarily. I think we're in an era of ultimate professionalism, which sometimes mm. takes the part of losing the personalities. That's driven out of you. Well, I wasn't talking about sports so much. I'm talking about life. society. So it seems to me that, like your generation, right, would never give an inch about anything. No. You came from a, a grafter generation with a grafter mindset. Not for you celebrating losing or weakness, right? I mean, it just wouldn't cross no, your mind. No, well, I think we did come from a different time, but I think that spirit is still there, somewhere out there to be found. And, and certain individuals... Don't do anything but shock you when a Michael Block comes on the scene. Mm. Oh, goodness me, never seen it before. Actually, we have. We've seen it a dozen times. Yeah. And it's memories that live with us forever. And that will live with him forever, but also, in a way, I think in the state that golf's in with the Live Tour on the one mm. side, PGA on the other, we forgot what the game's about. It's about people like Michael Well, Block. it was interesting because uh, Brooks Kepka won, obviously, yeah. and he's a Live yeah. Tour golfer. Um, Rory McIlroy was pretty good to him, actually, and hugged him and congratulated him and didn't say much about Liv during this tournament. It looks to mm. me like they're beginning to calm down, maybe I do think, a deal. I think differently, Piers. I think they will realise that this is a horrendous accident waiting to happen. 
that this live tour has actually reduced enormously the value of golf because of oversupply in the market. Golf doesn't rate particularly well on, mm. on television, frankly. Mm. And the live tour has given an alternate broadcast opportunity to other broadcasters. Mm. I think they're all beginning to realise this is a lot of money involved. And for the players that draw in it, they've had some big signing on fees, etc. That's not necessarily the answer because they're suddenly realising you can't buy history and you can't buy special moments that people like Michael Brock supplied. Mm. It goes beyond the normal realms of who's getting a few million dollars more. Let's talk about why you were due to come on here, which mm. is this the, the eco-warriors, <laughs> who obviously the, amongst their many targets, the Just Stop Oil protesters attacked the World Snooker Championship. Let's take a look. So I was on air when this happened, and it was pretty shocking for everybody there, obviously, people watching on television. It was designed to shock. It was designed to get our attention. First of all, what was your reaction when you saw this? Well, annoyance, obviously, you could imagine. I've got paying customers, normal working-class people that have saved up. To get a ticket, by the way, in the Crucible to watch the snooker is not easy. Mm. Sells out already next year's already sold out. These people have been lucky enough. They've got a ticket. They're in place ready to enjoy their special moment. And it was spoilt by someone. Um, my secondary thought really was, this is nothing to do with Just Stop Oil. Because it didn't do their calls any good at all. In fact, it was the opposite. I think mm. it damaged their calls. It made me want to go and buy oil. Well, it made me not want to give anything. I, you know, as, as individuals, we give to lots of different charities or different... Uh, there's no way. They may well have a case, by the way, mm. ecologically speaking. But by doing that, I think they cheapened themselves into sort of the bully boys of sport because sport is such an easy target, Piers. Mm. You know, you can't... I mean, I believe in security. I think we've got good security. We have for 40 years. But I don't, years. See, I don't see why wrecking the fun for ordinary people, know, many of whom are working-class people who've spent all year saving yeah, up to go yeah, to this. Yeah. How it's does their that, big annual event. How does that put across their point? The answer is it doesn't yeah. at all. If anything, it's a huge negative to them. And working-class people and ordinary people everywhere in the world would look at that with disdain. And they wouldn't look at it and say, well, let's look into this Just Stop Oil principle. Mm. They look at it and saw a rich kid getting some attention by doing something that's actually really easy to do. It's a bit of bully boy tactics. They bought a ticket. I think they paid 300 quid for their ticket. Yeah. They bought a top-class ticket with all the trimmings and went out and spot everyone's enjoyment for the night. You're now going to sue Just Stop Oil activist Edred Whittingham, who mm. was the guy we saw there. Tell well, me about that. Well, it's interesting because... I was frustrated. I mean, I was frustrated when I spent two and a half hours on the M25 in a junction. Mm. That's another time, another story. But the same principle applies. It's putting ordinary people you know, out of pocket or out of place. I'm frustrated about what can I do? Do I make the whole place into a fortress of security and take away that very special atmosphere that exists at Crucible? I don't want to do that. It's never been necessary before. I've had two streakers. We got rid of them quite quickly. <laughs> but they weren't the same. They were just extroverts. Here we've got a situation where I, we sat down as a group and said, what do we do? Do we tighten security? Do we make it really body search, everybody coming? Is that what sport's really about now? My book says no. So I'm trying to think how I can be, you know, constructive in how we can deal with it. And we come up with this idea of the small claims court. Mm. Because we thought, well, you know, all these people have spent their money on a ticket, mm. on their hotels, on their travel, maybe babysitters, whatever. So I wrote to the 410 people 
that witnessed that and lost their table that they were supposed to be watching and said, look, I believe you've got a claim. We will help you. We will help you formulate this. Let's take this little boy, this attention-seeking little boy, let's ruin his life. Let's take him to the small claims court as many times as possible. I wrote to 410 people, 64 have come back and said, yes, we'd like to be part of this. So now our lawyers are working with them and saying, how do we help you? 64 different cases in the small claims court where he will be expected See, I to like make this. an appearance. I like this, because this, this will really get to the heart of these people. Oh, yes. If they actually have to suffer that kind of sacrifice. Well, they they might think twice about the way they protest. I've got no problem in people no. doing normal, peaceful protests. None at all. But when they, when they deliberately wreck things which other people are enjoying, they're or they're stopping people going to work or whatever, they lose me. They're not putting a point across. They're just disruptive for mm. disruption's sake. They're attention seekers that are not actually saying, believe in this. Mm. We have a system in this country, it's called a democracy. It's not anarchy. This is a mm. democracy and there are ways of putting your point across. They chose to ignore it and we have to take action. I see the protesters at the Dartford Tunnel got three and a half years and mm. two and a half years. That's another one I'm thoroughly in favour of. Yeah. You know, I was in a traffic jam for two and a half hours next to an ambulance trying yeah. to get it's through. It's outrageous. You know, a woman three cars away mm. was in tears because she, she missed her father's funeral. Yeah, disgusting. You know, so what do you do? You can't just stand back. In our small way, we thought, let's just disrupt his life yeah. as much as he's disrupted others. And there are 64 letters going out. And, he'll, it, he'll and by the way, them. in a perfectly peaceful manner. Totally. He's just going to get a load of uh, writs... And it will cost him a load of money, hopefully. I don't really care about the money. I want to give him some inconvenience. Yes, quite right. Uh, Barry, I could talk to you all night. Just give me one little thing. <laughs> my team, Arsenal, yeah. choked, in my opinion, the Premier League. Oh, there were eight oh. points clear, eight, point, eight games to go. Do you agree with me? No, no. Look, I've had nine, I had 19 years as chairman of Lake Norrin. I know all about football, not, <laughs> not at your level. Yeah, but your expectation level was lower. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? And you're judging it on expectation level mm. rather than reality. The reality is they're professional sportsmen, they're trained to win and they're proud. Is it fair that Manchester City have all this oil money which allows them <laughs> to have a grotesque financial advantage Again, over everybody else? There's 123 claims against them for them to justify and fight. This saga will run longer than Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. <laughs> it's going to go on forever. But at the end of the day, Arsenal, and I know you don't want this because you're through blue mm. and Arsenal, at the end of the day, they weren't quite good enough. You see, I don't agree. I just don't think they weren't mentally strong enough. They didn't believe but that they could be that may be champions. part of being not quite good enough. They needed to be more like Michael Block. They needed to believe they belonged on the top stage. No, they've got to do it over 40-odd games throughout a season in front of a very good... Wherever the money's come mm. from will be an issue answered later. But for the moment, hats off to Manchester City. They are one of the greats of my lifetime. They are. They're a good team. All right, great to see you. Always a pleasure, Miles. Uh, uh, Piers. Piers. Miles. <laughs> it's Miles and Miles. Where are we going? I actually have a mate called Miles. He'd be pleased about that. You'll think you're talking about him. Good to see you. Thanks, mate. Eddie. Uh, Uncensored next. <laughs> a war on free speech in the name of Professor Kathleen Stock is taking over Oxford University and could see the end of its famed debating club. Isn't hearing opposing viewpoints the entire point of debate? We'll be debating the lack of debate at Oxford next.
Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Professor Kathleen Stock is due to speak at Oxford University's 200-year-old Tibetan Society next month, but she's faced a furious backlash from students who say her supposedly transphobic views mean she shouldn't be given a platform. Which is the same academic who had to quit her job as a lecturer at the University of Sussex after being targeted by activists for her views on gender identity. Oxford University's Vice-Chancellor has defended Stock's appearance as a matter of free speech, but the university is braced for up to a 1,000 protesters and counter-protesters to take action when she appears at the end of the month. The student union is understood to have cut ties with the debating society. So there's a huge rift now at the heart of Oxford University, and it all begs the question, how exactly are you supposed to have a debating society if you don't actually allow proper debate with people whose opinions you don't like? Well, joining me now is podcast host and comedian Constantine Kissin, Professor of Sociology at Oxford University, Dr Michael Briggs, and Oxford student and trans rights activist Riz Posnett. Well, welcome to all of you. Uh, Riz, you're over there in Oxford. Um, let me start with you. You've yep. been on the show before. Um, I don't get this. The whole point of going to university is you're supposed to have open minds, hear views you may not like, challenge them, put your own views forward, evolve, learn. Um, what's all this censorship about? Yeah, I mean, effectively, this is students exercising their own free speech, right? Like, she has been platformed by this institution. Students have consistently said, we don't think she should speak here. We don't want her here because her views are part of a, a broader hate campaign and moral panic that's really damaging the lives of trans people. So students, students have voted that they don't want her here in their college institutions, in the student union, and now the university have overruled that vote. I also want to clarify something here. The SU, the student union, voted to cut ties with the debating society, the Oxford Union, not over this, but over an extensive history of them um, bullying, harassing, and uh, just having like general uh, bigotry, racism within their, within their institution. So it, it's not over this nuance issue. It's about the history right. of the... But of on the, the specific union. point about Kathleen Stott, you tweeted this. You've got some effing nerve, Kathleen. You've brought your hatred into our community and now you use the threats we receive because of your actions to try to garner more sympathy for your victim narrative. Oxford doesn't want your bigotry here and will make it known. Now, I've studied the Kathleen Stock saga. I actually come from Sussex, so mm -hmm. I had a vested interest in my county uh, and this university. What is it about her that is so hateful? What has she said or done that is actually so wicked? Yeah, uh, Kathleen has consistently... Uh, well, so what she does is she's an uh, academic front, basically, for this broader movement, which she has uh, endorsed. She's endorsed Posey Parker, who has said horrific things that I don't think would be appropriate... No, no but hang on, I asked you, what, what has Kathleen Stock... Uh, hang on. What has Kathleen Stock yep. herself said or done to warrant this treatment? Yeah. I don't know... Yeah, I understand. I don't know if you've read her book, Piers. She consistently misgenders people. She uh, talks about whether, like, trans ideology should exist, whether uh, trans people should be part of the LGBTQ community. Um, now, her... What she talks about is is part of a massive campaign against trans people. And she wasn't kicked out of Warwick University. She left because she was bummed that people didn't like what she had to say because it hurts okay, real look, trans look, people. Okay, but look, Riz... Here, can I just... Yeah, I have to... I, we're running, I've got two, I've got two other guests. About. Here's my point. You see, I have looked at what she said 
She says, many trans women are still males with male genitalia. Many are sexually attracted to females. They should not be in places where females undress or sleep in an unrestricted way. Self-ID threatens a secure understanding of the concept of lesbian and so on. She stands up for the sanctity of biological sex and I'm struggling to find out what is so offensive about all this. It seems to me what's more offensive are young students who think that biological sex is a movable feast that can be denied and that the science is to be ignored and that anyone can put their hand up and say they're anything they like and they have to be respected. That I find more offensive than anything Kathleen Stock has said. So that's absolutely fine if you find that offensive, Piers. The reality is, as much as she exercises her right to free speech, so do we. The students have consistently said, as I've mentioned before, that they don't welcome her, her here. And specifically, the tweet that you quoted... Yeah, but that's was me not honouring free speech, is it, saying, That's the opposite of free speech. Yes, what it is. What you're doing is deplatforming so people is about... whose opinions you don't agree with. My argument is... I agree so, with a lot of what she says. I don't get it. What you're doing is you're yeah, basically, that's fine. That's you're fine. basically you're behaving as a group. You're behaving like a bunch of young fascists. You want people, only people, so, who toe the line to your worldview. And her worldview, by the way, there's is a bit shared of a delay. Could you just let me know when I can people. come back to those points? All right. Well, let me come to, let me come to the other panels. Can I respond first. now? Let, let me come to the other panels. Okay. Constantine, this strikes me as right to the heart of the malaise at our academia. Worldwide, actually, this worldview, I don't like this person's views, even though they're not that controversial at all. In fact, most people would agree with them. And yet they have to be deplatformed, abused, branded bigots, blah, blah, blah. This right here is the heart of this, of this problem. And let me answer the question that Riz didn't answer when you asked her what Kathleen has done that is so wrong is she's blasphemed against this new religion that says trans women are women. And as you say, the vast majority of the public don't agree with that. And therefore, students have to then become little fascists, like you said, and shut this down because they can't tolerate hearing an opinion that they don't like. And so uh, to the extent that they have power, they're going to use it to bully people into not speaking in places that they can. I'm grateful that um, the government have pushed through the the bill, which now means universities have to ensure that free speech is respected there. It's very, very important that these people don't win because you can see their smug faces as they do this. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and they enjoy the power and they enjoy exercising over people. And by the way, I've interviewed Kathleen on my show, Trigonometry. She's one of the sweetest, kindest, most generous, gentle people that you will meet. If she's hateful, then we're all hateful. Well, this is the point, isn't it? Um, Dr Briggs, you've come here from Oxford University. What is going on there? Because a lot of a lot of the academic people there now seem to be rising up against this and supporting the concept of free speech, but that's causing a rift now in the university. What, what's really going on? Well, I think it's good that things have come to a head and we finally can debate about whether, whether we could listen to the very mild, as Constantine said, the very mild views of Kathleen Stock, which really represents the, uh, the majority of British people. Now, maybe not, not the majority of students, but even the minority of students have a right to hear, if they should, should uh, if they want, to hear Kathleen Stock's views. And even people who are opposed to her, like, like Riz, should go along uh, if the, and, and listen and, and just decide what, why exactly what they disagree with. What I, mean, I don't understand is why what, this whole concept, when I've, when I've taken part in the Oxford Union, which I've done, and the Cambridge Union and, and others, I've always enjoyed it, but I've always gone there believing it was my job to try and make people come around to my way of thinking, which was an old debate. In fact, I was back at my old prep school for the first time in 50-odd years 
uh, the other day, at the weekend, and I passed this old White House where the headmaster's wife used to hold debating society when I was about seven or eight. And that we were encouraged at that age, challenge other views, listen to other views, formulate your own opinion and be unafraid to change it if you hear things which change your mind. This has all just gone out the window. So the problem is if you have a certain identity or if you have a certain view, then you can say, I'm so vulnerable, uh, I can't listen to any opposing views that they... Even the, even not, not only can I not listen, but even the, the very existence of those other views being articulated somewhere you know, within, the, within a five-mile radius... Has is Catherine Stock said anything that you see which would justify this kind of treatment? No, of course not, no. Piers, just to the point you made about when you go and when I went to the Oxford Union about trying to persuade mm. people, think about what would be the circumstances in which you wouldn't want to persuade people and you would want to shut down people who disagree with you. The only circumstance in which you might be tempted to do that is if you know your arguments are rubbish. Yeah. And that is why these people are doing it. Or if you're it. living in Russia, China or North Korea, right. where you would then call the secret police and they would come and remove the person with the offensive opinion, which was one that the government didn't agree with or whatever, and they would be taken off to some detention centre in right. Siberia. I mean, th this, is, this is where we're heading. This is what they don't get, these students, is that once you accept that you're allowed to do this to people who have perfectly mainstream opinions, this is a slippery slope to, do, to totalitarianism, right? Quite. All right, Riz, we've... Can I respond to that? You can respond to that. You're a totalitarian barbarian. <laughs> so you've talked about uh, fascism. Fascism as a far-right ideology about suppressing stuff. Uh, to be clear, this has been a consistent democratic uh, decision do not, do in not like, well, on that point, right? do not, Students do not, have made on, this together. On that point, do you object to being called right-wing? Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. I only mentioned that because when we invited uh, the president of Oxford University LGBTQ plus society to come on the programme, he replied, I think it's a he, um, <coughs> this is Adi Harandiman, do you know, do you know that person? Uh, yeah, and I'd actually like to talk about that. That person did not come on your show uh, because they have been subject to this consistent propaganda hate that I've been talking about. Well, let let me reason. just finish this point. Well, hang on, I'm going to finish my point. Well, it was, because I know Riz, this person Riz, personally. That wasn't the reason given by this person who replied, Hiya, to my producer, nice to meet you. We're reluctant to work with right wing media. So I'm not right wing, I've never been right wing. Uh, you're not sure. right-wing. You object to, to being called right-wing. I object to being called right-wing. So we found a point of consensus. So the reason that uh, other people don't want to uh, take up interviews like this or be on platforms like this is because of the hate campaign. Because they don't that like debating, Riz. By fans of Catholic At least you have the gumption can I, can I to come on. Can I just respond to some of those points, Piers? Well, look, here's my point. I was, yeah. paying you, I was so, actually paying you, I was paying you a compliment. You do at least come on. And debate Thanks. with me, right? Yeah. But here's so my problem with the, the rest of your colleagues. The reason this person didn't are, come on... They don't want to debate it because they don't want to hear someone saying something they don't like. I'd really love to respond to that point. So you mentioned uh, that the tweet that I said in response to Kathleen. Now, what you didn't mention is that Kathleen was responding to a tweet by Addy, who you previously mentioned, uh, publishing a death threat that they received by one of her fans. That's why people don't want to be on platforms like this. Now, with regards to a debate, uh, first of all, I don't believe that trans lives should be a debate, but that's not in question here it's anyway. It's not about that. The Oxford Union wasn't trying to platform a debate. No one's debating trans... They weren't trying to put on a debate. There weren't equal sides on it. You can't just keep talking. We've had this conversation before. No-one's debating 
trans lives. No one's debating trans rights to fairness and equality. I've certainly never... I've only ever supported trans rights to fairness and equality. But if you're going to stand there now on television... And, and say that you believe what's happening in women's sport, for example, is anything but grotesquely unfair and unequal, then say so, if you genuinely believe it. I think what's grotesquely unfair and unequal is the violence and hatred that trans people are consistently facing in the media, mm. in person, in public, uh, and online that as a result of question, your fans, Riz. Kathleen Stott's wasn't fans. my question, Is it fair that trans athletes are now demolishing women born with female biological bodies at women's sport. Is that fair, yes or no? This is a really boring po point, but I'm happy to answer Just it. Just give me a simple uh, yes or no. That's not happening, you and think trans it's... people oh, it's not happening. should be All right. absolutely allowed to... OK, it, yeah. it's not happening. You're obviously not reading the papers, yeah. you're not watching TV, you are totally oblivious to okay. the reality of what's happening. But Riz... Oh, my bad, didn't realise. OK, it's OK, <laughs> no problem. Ignorance is bliss, right? Good to see you, thank you very much. Um, I mean, again, it's the mindset. Doesn't even wouldn't even consider the possibility that what's happening in sport in women's sport is is horrible because she has no idea, has no interest, it's only a, interested in the impact. It's on a trans religion, people. Pierce. I've said this to you before. I'll say it again. It's a religious worldview whereby your beliefs do not require evidence. They're they're based on a faith, right? And that's how these people think. So uh, the the reason I mentioned the the Kathleen Stock, what she's doing, as all of us are doing, is violating the sacred truth of this worldview, which is trans women are women. Mm. Uh, they don't seem to wonder why you have to put the word trans in front of it if they're women. If they mm. were actual women, you'd call them women, right? Right? And they don't question it. So when you challenge challenge that or when I challenge that or Michael challenges that that to them is blaspheming and we're you know in, in well we're being hateful that's right. she thinks she's entitled to call this this woman Kathy Stocker bigot and so on and so on um I want to just quickly ask you about something else because you're a comedian John Cleese has warned that his Life of Brian stage show based on the movie shouldn't include a scene about a man wanting to be a woman and having a baby which is ironic given the subject matter we've been discussing let's take a look at the famous clip. Why are you always on about women, Stan? I want to be one. What? I want to be a woman. From now on, I want you all to call me Loretta. What? It's my right as a man. Well, why do you want to be Loretta, Stan? I want to have babies. You want to have babies? It's every man's right to have babies if he wants them. You can't have babies! Don't you oppress me. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny at the time. It's kind of ironic now. Uh, but he, even John Cleese, feels compelled to perhaps remove that because it may offend people, the concept of men, of a joke about men having babies. But we've reached a point where, yeah, there will be protests about that, because it's offensive. Isn't it amazing? Because it looks like they're literally quoting from mm. 2023 conversations in a satirical piece of satire becoming real life. Uh, and it shows you, I think, most of all, how far we've come in this delusion. I totally agree, because actually, Dr. Briggs, I mean, that was deemed to be humour at the time, because it was so ludicrous that nobody ever assumed that would actually be a reality. But we've reached that point where satire's coming true. Yes, yes, indeed. But I think, though, just to take up the, the point about the, the religion, I mean, the reason why there's so much hate towards uh, Kathleen Stock is because she's a lesbian, yeah. because she's an apostate. Mm -hmm. So she's part of the LGBT community, yeah. but she's, uh, she's articulating a different view, and so therefore she has to be... She's much more threatening 
than, than uh, most people would be. Very I saw a comedian called Freddie Quinn on morning TV, Good Morning Britain today, and he made the point, there's a scene from that movie with a guy with a lisp. Does that have to go? Because it's offensive to people with speech impediments. There's a scene with a character called Incontinentia buttocks. <laughs> Is that offensive to people with IBS? There's a scene with people with big noses. Is that offensive to people with big noses? There's one about blessing the cheesemakers. Do we have to reach out to a National Association of Dairy Farmers <laughs> to see if they're upset by it? And the truth is, actually, probably yes, because somebody somewhere will be already getting the pitchforks out, ready to blow their gasket about all these scenes being offensive, until eventually there is no life of Brian. That, and that's why I think all of us have to just ignore these people being yeah. silly, which is what they're doing, and say... You, you're allowed to be offended. Uh, nothing happens when you get offended. Nothing changes. N n the world does not start revolving That's around... That's what Ricky Gervais always says. Right. Yeah, he has a right to say what he says. You have a right to be offended. Your right to be offended doesn't over overcome his own right to crack jokes. Uh, thank you both very much indeed. I appreciate it. Uncensored next, the London theatre hops on the US trend for dedicating performances to black-only audiences and those blackout nights. Is that empowering or segregating? That debate is next. The new trend is sweeping theatre land in the UK and US. Blackout performances are dedicated to black-only audiences. Those who are not black are asked not to buy tickets. The Theatre of Royal Stratford East in London says no one's excluded from attending their new show, Tambo and Bones, but promotional material makes clear that white people aren't wanted at the production on the night in question. As a blackout night is a purposeful creation of an environment in which an all-black identifying audience, black identifying audience, can experience and discuss an event in performing arts, free from the white gaze. So does this mean I can go if I identify as a black man? There would be someone on the woke side who would have... Well, they'd have trouble disagreeing with that, given they believe in limitless self-identity. But it is more importantly, is it ever OK to exclude audiences based on skin colour? What would happen, for example, if it was the other way around? If this was a white-only audience? Well, I'm joined by the Talk TV contributor, Esther Krakow, and the Black Lives Matter organiser and activist, Iman Aidens. All right, Iman, I'm just trying to picture what would happen if I put on a theatrical production in London and it said it was for whites only... Uh, or people identifying as white, which is obviously a ludicrous phrase, but you would go nuts. You would say that is blatant racism, segregation, dragged us kicking and screaming back to the dark days of appalling bigotry. You would. Well, it depends on the context, right? There's no whites-only audience. It depends no, on the context. No black people allowed. What would you say? Well, I think you're perfectly right. It would be akin to racist finding more ways to be more racist. So why is it OK this way around? OK, so we have to put it into context. It was one out of the 29 shows. Doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Let's put it into context, Piers. You want to forget about context. Context is everything. It is one out of the 29 shows that was targeted towards black people. And at no point did they say people, certain people were not excluded. In fact, they actually said it verbatim on their website. No one is excluded. Well, and just, yet you have I found just, racism. No, no. I just, I just read the rest of what they said. It's pretty clear. You are not supposed to go if you're not black. No, please consider booking other dates. That's, right, exactly. I think, I think the context... You're, you're right, the context is important. I think the issue here is 
when it, when it's talking about sort of you know blackouts and it's it's trying to gather an audience of black people that they believe have the same experience right. exactly this doesn't transpose the same way it does in the US and the UK right a black person in the UK could be black african uh, black british or, you know black from the caribbean mm. right in the US the conversation around race is completely different and that's why it's a problem obviously when you bring this to the UK people are going to be like what are you talking about this is especially in london the most can you see any merit can you see any merit to it of course not but that's and it, i don't even think it makes but sense why in the american is that? Context. Why is that? If you're talking because, about safe spaces, because let's just be clear, we're talking think, about safe spaces. Think, because here, I think right? what do you mean safe space? What because, does that mean? Because, okay, yeah. so you again, wouldn't feel safe if again, I came no, along. No, 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 no. Again, context. We're talking about a play that was done by black people for black, black people, Americans targeted then. for black people. So and black, so, black so one out of the again, let's just be clear, because you're clearly not getting this message. It is basically akin to the disabled community putting on putting on 29 shows and one oh 29 shows about disabilities, and then one of those shows is targeted towards the disabled community. That is what it is akin to, and yet you have a problem. Why is that, Piers? Have you genuinely asked yourself I why it's problem. different between disabilities I, I or have, disabled community or problem. Jewish, but when it comes to black... My wow, problem, my problem is that you have already conceded that if it was the other way around, and this was a whites-only night of this theatrical performance, Context. you would say Context. racist. Context. And that's my Safe problem. Spaces. It's Safe spaces. A, it's well, the black double standard. Black people are disproportionately can affected I, by not, racism, why? so therefore it's about safe spaces. This play I don't is about think this racism. Kind of, I don't so think, therefore we should have a safe space for black people as we are disproportionately affected by racism. I don't think you tackle... I don't, you wouldn't say that to a woman. No. You wouldn't say that to a yes, woman when she was talking about abuse and therefore she wanted and they wanted and she wanted a safe space. I'm sorry. The idea of safe spaces and black people needing Safe spaces, extremely patronizing. No, talking about racism. Okay, what about, what, about, what, about Asian, what about Asian people? Do Asian people need safe spaces when for talking, racism? When talking no, about Asian racism, people, when no, they, I'm asking you a question. We don't have those conversations. When talking about, Let Esther when, finish. No, she just asked me a question, so I'm answering it. When talking about Asian racism, I think they deserve a bit of a safe space. When they're talking from, about from, their from, own experiences, from, from black from, people or from, from white all, people. From all types of people that really? are going to all right, promote Esther, judgment. Esther. Because it's about being free of judgment. Esther, no, let I, me I'm ask sorry. you a question. Free of white Hang, judgment. Mark, free of Mark, Asian Mark, judgment. Let, free Esther, of all types Let somebody of else speak, please. No, I'm going to. Or we're going to have them. a safe space where you get removed so that only I happily, can be heard speaking. Happily, and I'll say <laughs> bye to you both. I will have a one night only, only peers. Happily, I'll say only bye to you both. I'll see you on Saturday. I'll say bye to you. I'll have one night of the show where only I am allowed to speak and you're not allowed to. Because of your skin colour. How would you like that? Well, that's called racism. Exactly. Exactly my point. No, it's not. Esther, let me ask you this. What would most black friends of yours or family think about this? I mean, in other words, is it something where a lot of black people might go, you know what, actually, I I can see some merit to this? They would see it as an American importation. Right. I, Does that mean I, necessarily a bad thing? I think that it would. No, it's yeah, not. it would be seen. It would be seen as ridiculous, but ridiculously particularly American, right? Because they black people are not a monolith, which we can all agree on. Black people come from various parts of the world. They have different cultures. This idea that there is a shared black experience, I think, is ludicrous. Other than the color of our skin, no, but I don't. Do. But you have you you but have you to just, accept just, there are many connotations you're adding to but, that. By your own I could say that, that I could say that as a black person, I face more racism from Asian and Middle Eastern people, so I should have a safe space from those people. Can you even that's identify you them? No, but that's, but that's, if, that's ridiculous. Right I don't think... You OK, let me interrupt. That if you've been let abused. me speak. I don't think right any do form of art should ever be exclusionary on the grounds of skin colour. 
regardless of who it's targeted to or who it's made we're by. We're talking about race equity. The whole point of art is it should be for everybody. But we're talking about race equity. For everybody. No, no. Context. I don't know. It's not right. It's not racially equal about this. Piers. It's racially unequal. You're saying Piers. no white people can come. Context. It's ridiculous. What's the play about, Piers? I've heard your art. What's the play about? It doesn't matter what it's yes, about. Yes, it does. It and doesn't. that's your issue. You want to negate context. No, and there is no it doesn't matter. If from every... both of us without context. You know this, and yet you try to negate it. No, I don't know this. Here. No, you Deal can't. Deal and if you can't, you can't deal with it, don't come with an argument. Can't tell deal me, with the context. You can't tell me what I'm thinking. No, exactly. But that's right? what you do to me. Or what my opinion is. And that's is. what people like you do to me. People like and me? Yes. What do you yes. mean people like me? Prejudice. Racially prejudiced people like yourself. That's what? what you do. That's why we need safe spaces. You're calling me racially prejudiced? I've, I've done that several times, Fizz. Why are you surprised? What, why are you saying on? that? Ignorance doesn't actually suit you. That's ignorant, actually, no, what no, you just said. No, I've just told you I'm not racially times. prejudiced. Okay, and so what you just said is very offensive. What, and sh you shouldn't be saying Piers? that. Piers, what's prejudice? Huh? What's prejudice? If you're racially prejudiced, you are a racist. What's prejudice? That's what you just called you've me. Been learning. I, I'm prejudice? not accepting that, sorry. What's prejudice? Um, Esther, mm. will you go and watch this? Swiftly uh, no, move on. No, I don't think you should be calling me a racist. Swiftly move on. It's ridiculous. On. I've done it several times, and you, you have a problem. Well, then you're wrong the every time. time. I did it last year. You're talking well, about today as if it's a new new surprise. It's, it's a, not. It's I told you last a, year you were racially it's prejudiced, a lazy, and I'm telling you again it's a today. Lazy and yet you have an argument. It's a lazy thing to say. Lazy thing to say. Well done. Because I'm not racially prejudiced. Never have been. What's racial prejudice, Piers? It's being a racist. Answer the question. It's judging people prejudicially on their skin colour. That's what you do. Actually, rather like what this theatrical production is doing. That's what you do. We're going to leave it there. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. Uncensored next after Can honour Johnny Depp with a standing ovation as Hollywood's debt boycott. Now over. Piers Pack is next. I'm joined by the former Conservative MP, Louise Mensch, and the Associate Editor of the Daily Mirror, Kevin Maguire. Well, what a stellar little duo we have here. So, a survey came out, Kevin, I'm going to ask you first, because I was your boss once. You were. You uh, were. That narcissists make the best bosses. Uh, uh, now, be very careful how you answer <laughs> this. I remember about a decade ago, the Guardian got a neuroscience writer to run the rule over you and decided you were a narcissist. <laughs> and didn't you admit... Actually... Didn't got... you admit to, uh, in your interview with Amal Raja? I did. Maybe that you are I do think I have slight narcissistic streaks. You know, you had... I don't think I'm fully... I think I'm a self-aware narcissist. Yeah, I think, I think you were like a... Brilliant and the terrible boss, depending on which, which day it was, if I'm I don't honest. think anything's really changed. I was easily pleased and easily annoyed, I think. Uh, Louise, I mean, you've had a few bosses in your time. I have. Do, are, 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 are narcissists actually... Do they have the skill set for being bosses, do you think? Well, I think they do, and I've had a bit of an unusual career. So my bosses have been either prime ministers or rock stars. Mm. So I don't think I've got any non-narcissistic bosses to compare it to. Mm. But if you've just got... a slight touch of narcissism, then you're a good leader, you strike yeah. out, you try new things, a bit of the Elon Musk about yes. you. You know, you have I mean, is confidence. Elon Musk a narcissist? Probably a little bit. I don't. But, I, but, in, but he's also doing a lot of stuff that's really interesting and good for the planet, right? I, I mean, think it goes, it goes along with the territory. I don't think he's a, a clinical narcissist, but, but he's got self-belief. Uh, mm. I mean, he's, dr he's driven, but then you see him all over the place on Twitter. 
Yeah. Uh, and it, it's not working out at the moment. It might in the end. I think I think you can you can be a touch of a narcissist, but if you're a total narcissist mm. and you won't listen to anybody who's given sensible, constructive uh, advice and support, then I think you become a bad boss. So, yeah. I want to play a clip of uh, someone who might well be a narcissist, Johnny Depp, uh, a lot of opinion about him. This is him talking in Cannes about being boycotted by Hollywood. Do I feel boycotted? No. No. Not at all. I don't feel boycotted by Hollywood because I don't think about it. I don't think about Hollywood. <laughs> I don't... Uh, I don't have much further need for Hollywood myself. Everybody would love to be able to be themselves, but they can't. Because they must fall in line with the person in front of them. I mean, Louise, he's got a point. I mean, we are living in a society where... I went to the Chelsea Flower Show today. I must have had a dozen people come up to me saying, you, you speak for us, right? We're, we're just... None of us are able to say what you say now. I was really struck by the number of people yep. on that one thing, yep. free speech, the ability to speak. Absolutely. And the whole trans debates that we're talking about elsewhere yeah. is part and parcel of this. And can you really blame Johnny Depp for saying, look, I'm incredibly rich, I'm incredibly famous, I've got all the awards. Mm. Maybe he just wants to let it go. He doesn't want to follow the Hollywood set path and say all the nice, polite things. And maybe he wants to let his middle-aged spread fly. You know, well, maybe he'd of, like to go yeah. to the Chelsea Talking Park. of awards and middle-aged spread and letting things fly, Ooh. here is our YouTube award for Piers Morgan Uncensored passing a million subscribers... That's impressive. ..in Wonderful. one year, which makes us the fastest-growing show in the country in terms of a new YouTube channel. So thank you very much for following us there. We have a lot of people watching on, on YouTube, yep. which is the new, the new place to go. What do you think? What's the answer with this free speech debate? Yeah. And when you hear students like that girl, I just... I, I shouldn't even identify as a girl, she's they, them. <laughs> um, I don't know what the answer is when they just are so intransigent yeah. about hearing other views. But look, the truth is this debate is as old as speech itself. It, it's, it's not new. We're more aware of it now because of social media and people can have platforms and they either use them themselves, try to shout others down, mm. uh, say they should be uh, cancelled. But I remember the right wing in the 1980s trying yeah. to cancel anyone who was constantly yeah, but oddly, the loony the, left. Oddly, the woke left have become the new fascists. I'm yeah, really well, well, I, their mindset. I, look, look, I'm, I'm, a, I, look, I'm on the left, but uh, you're not I, I'm a liberal. No, no, no. I think you've got to engage with people and mm. respect, respect uh, other opinions. Have a robust debate. Before we let you go, I want a quick prediction. US President and the next UK Prime Minister after both elections. Give me two names. Right, it's going to be Joe Biden if it's Donald Trump uh, opposing him, and it's... I regret to say it's going to be Keir Starmer as the next Prime Minister. Um, uh, Keir Starmer with a bit more of a smile and Joe Biden. I, here's a, I'm going to say Rishi Sunak and Ron DeSantis is the outside Ooh. bet, but not impossible. Yeah, oh, I, I think the latter... Well, we've we got a clip now to play back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the YouTube channel. Guys, oh. I've got to leave it there. Remember, follow us on YouTube. It's all there. Join the million, whatever you're up to. Keep it uncensored. Keep it uncensored. <laughs> 